Everyone, John Worth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast special guest, Chris Eubanks. Uh, Chris is a young, up-and-coming tennis player from Atlanta. He's currently in the top 200. Um, our mutual friend, James Blake, encouraged me to uh, reach out to Chris, said he's a great kid and has a lot of interesting thoughts, and uh, James' scouting report was dead on. Uh, speaking of scouting reports, we start with some Labor Cup talk. Labor Cup, obviously a hot topic in uh, tennis this week, uh, three for three on Labor Cup. Three events in three years and uh, three smashing successes that I think has a lot of people, self-included, really rethinking uh, team competitions, the tennis calendar, how this event can grow even further, perhaps include women as well. Uh, but good conversation with Chris. We talk Labor Cup. We talk about what it's like to uh, be in his position, a player ranked between 100 and 200. We talk a bit about how tennis can uh, diversify a bit more. Um, good talk about college tennis, uh, good wide ranging conversation with a uh, really likable guy. So, uh, without further ado, he's out on the West coast playing, uh, in Tiburon. Here is Chris Eubanks. Hey John, how's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Currently out in uh, Tiburon. So, uh, sorry if I sound a little congested, I like some allergies are acting up a little bit, but I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. This is the fate of uh, of the tennis player, always on the road. You're uh, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little, little you cold. You got to fight through. This uh, this is this is par for the course, though. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um. So you're you're in Tiburon now, uh, playing the challenger there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Tiburon right now. Let's uh, you know what? Let's start with the news of the week, and then uh, then we'll talk about okay. you a bit. Okay. To, to what extent do you have Labor Cup fever? Are you uh are you caught up in this like uh like so many I mean people? I mean honestly I I tweeted it and I'm sure you've seen it I think Labor Cup is probably the most exciting three days of tennis uh, all year <laughs> something about being able to see not just the best players in the world going at it day in and day out uh, but also seeing them on the doubles court and my favorite honestly is seeing them coach each other I think I probably honestly I'd probably pay uh, to sit there and just listen to what Roger would have to say to Sasha on the court or hear what uh hear the, the advice that Rafa would give team or Fonini like during a match and just if they could, you know. So in this this case and this setting at Labor Cup they can. So it's actually really cool. You kinda of get as I'm sure you saw a little bit more of an unfiltered uh version of how they see the game and you can kinda of get inside their minds, but I think it's awesome. Did anyone ever tell you they want to hear you fist pumping after every fucking point and when you lose points none of this negative <laughs> shit? No, not quite. Not quite, uh, but you know what? I was I was talking to some of the guys out here in Tiburon. I said, you know, if you're a tennis player, you have Roger on one shoulder and Rafa on the other, giving you a fist like a, a pretty good, you know, in your grill pep talk before a tiebreaker. Pretty sure you might play a pretty good breaker. I don't know. You're <laughs> like, so you saw what the result was. I mean, Sasha went out there extremely confident before the first point, throwing his hands to the crowd, and was on the Eagles ten four. Came up with some money backhand passing shots and you can see uh you know i i'd hate to attribute a lot of it to that talk but i'm going to and i'm going to say man i think that talk really fired him up and, and it kind of allowed a lot a lot of the fans to kind of see a side of of everyone when they don't normally get to see so i think it's great totally agree with you we should point out too zverev lost that previous set so uh it wasn't like he was yeah. riding a lot of momentum um that's funny. We, we were saying that Bjorn Borg had the easiest job of the week. You, you got Roger oh, man, and Rafa. Man, John, I think you could have gone out there and coached the team. <laughs> the, That's no uh, offense to you, but I think I think there's there a lot of people who could have gone out there and 
sat on the bench and, and you know, created the lineup. Obviously, I think he created the lineup, but I think he also had a lot of help from the guys on the team. Are you, uh, you're an NBA fan? You have, John, you have Johnny Mack over there, you know, getting animated, giving tactics. Uh, personally, I thought it was pretty cool to see Johnny Mack and Milos actually working mm-hmm. together again. Uh, you know, it was pretty ironic to see that, you know, they were – they actually – worked together for a while and they had a, a player coach relationship so about to see it and John then gets the opportunity to coach him during a match that was pretty cool I'm totally with you I, I gotta say usually uh I have reservations about mid-match coaching I think uh oh, I think, come I think on it worked off well come no it was great it was great I gotta say as as uh <laughs> the as the behind the scenes peak I, I I tell you what too I I don't know if you t- t- tell me you're you're a lot closer to this than I am, but but I thought the players sort of were letting everyone in on what the scouting report on the other guys were. I mean, it was clear that Federer and Nadal know that Zverev gets negative, and they know that it's been a real kind of danger to his game, and they were sort of letting yeah. the world in on on the scouting report a little bit. That's that's how it came across to me. Well, yeah, but I think in, in that essence, I think Labor Cup is pretty unique because it's an exhibition, but it's an exhibition that everybody wants to win. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're too concerned with the optics or the, 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 you know, giving up scouting reports on, on different guys. I think they're saying, you know what, we got to talk to this guy. We got to give him the win. We got to do whatever we got to do to, to tell, you know, win our third to take the waiver cup and they were able to do that. Same thing on, uh, same thing on team world side. Mm-hmm. I mean, you heard some very, very clear tactics and the guys were helping each other out when John was helping, you know, the players out. So I don't think, I don't think they're sitting there saying, ah, you know, thinking more long-term and saying, I'd hate to, expose this guy's weaknesses or how I like to play him. The next time we play, he'll know what I'm going to do. I mean, there's a higher level of tennis, but the margins are so slim. It's about who can execute under pressure. You, you kind of know what you're going to get when you go on the court against guys. That's when you're not, you're not going to all of a sudden expect Rafa to start serving a volume out of nowhere, you know, a couple times a game. That's just not, that's not what he does. You kind of know the game styles are going to be. It's just, you know, can you execute what you need to do to, uh, to, to you know, to win the match in that matchup, and, and so that's what it boils down to. I don't really think it's too much about. I'd hate to out this guy right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like listen, these are the facts. This is what I feel. I think he gets negative when he plays, and then I need to give him a talk to fire him up so he doesn't get negative. And you saw what happened. But the, it's good to hear this from your perspective. So, so the guys in Tiburon, I mean, other other players have taken note of uh, just how much this has caught on this whole competition. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I haven't spoken to that many guys in, in Tiburon about it. Uh, it threw out, I mean, yesterday uh, during, not yesterday, I'm sorry, Sunday during day three, I was on a huge travel day to get out here, so I really didn't get to see that much. I remember last year, Labor Cup was going on in Tiburon as well, and guys were kind of gathered around the TV watching it and, and, and thought it was really cool. Uh, this year, honestly, I thought, it was, I thought it was the best it's ever been. Uh, so I can imagine it was the same, but I can't really speak on everyone else because I wasn't here to, to see it. I'll point out you are ranked higher than one of the uh, competitors in Labor Cup, so uh, maybe it's a goal for 2020. Chris Eubanks, absolutely Labor you, Cup you world the team. To play Labor Cup, I, I can pretty much speak into positions right now. I will be there. It's, there's no questions asked. I got the opportunity to play world team tennis this year, and uh, that was the first time I had played in a team atmosphere since college, and it, it really. Started off a little nervous, I'm not gonna lie, but then once I caught the rhythm and I started catching it, I said, "Man, this is this is really really fun." So if you magnify that on a huge scale, I think that's probably what Labor Cup is like, and I can only imagine that it'll be uh, it'll be something special. And you got Roth. Well, you you wouldn't have it, but play. And you got Roth and Roger in your ear uh, to boot. Um, hundred percent. It's uh, it's the last week of September. 
you're you're inside the top 200. You're still out there grinding away. Um, so far, your year has been what? How, how's how's your year been? Um, I, I think it's been okay. Honestly, I'm not uh, not going to say it's been it's been too good. It's been you know too bad. I've had some pretty good wins throughout the year, especially starting off in Australia, mm-hmm. um, and even some you know in the summer months. But I, I think that. A lot of people told me they said the second year on tour is is, is tough because the first year, or it tends to be tougher than the first year because the first year you can really only go up. You don't really have that many points coming off. You're just every week your rankings moving up. Second week, second year, you have to account for the points that you lost the, week, the year before, and you have to be able to maintain. So I, I kind of got a really good taste of that this year, and, and, and two challenges, two of the best weeks of my my uh, career last year. I in Mexico, I. Final the challenger in Guadalajara, and then I won the challenger on my own back to back weeks. Well, this year comes around, Guadalajara is canceled. So that's that's 48 off the board that I won't even be able to touch. And then the very next week, on my own, I, I lost a pretty early match. So that was another. Um, between those two, it was about 120 some odd points. And at the time, I was at my career high ranking at around 150, and then I dropped down. And I've kind of maintained. I think right now I'm, I'm at about where I was last year this time, but I think there's some, there's some opportunities on the board. There's some points that, that are for the taking, and, and I'm looking forward to trying to go in there or taking them and, and moving my ranking up in a positive direction. So that's the only way I can kind of look at it. You know, my ranking's about the same as last year, but I think it's a – if you take out the two weeks in which I caught, uh, caught fire in Mexico, I think it's still been a pretty good year, if not a little bit better. I think I've gained a lot of experience, and uh, I'm just ready to move forward with it. Sounds very healthy. I um so so I saw you play at the Open. You you played a great match. You came very close to uh, beating a seed, Christian uh, Garin, who's had yep. a very nice year. Um, what is that night like? So you so you, you you fell in five sets. You competed very well. I mean, I think you you didn't need to prove to anyone, but I think there there was no question you you belonged. You uh, certainly f- fulfilled your wild card. What what's that night like when uh, you lose a five set match at the Open? What, what What's the next few uh, hours like? So, so that, that was that was a five, that was my first five set match ever. Uh, honestly, I've never even played practice five sets. So that was okay. a to see that my body held up physically and to see that I honestly believed that I had honestly believe I had a pretty good amount left in the tank and could have continued to go for you know another thirty minutes, another maybe forty five minutes. Who knows? Um, that was a positive sign. Also, going back and looking at the match, I mean, there, there were just some. There were some areas that obviously I could have improved, but overall I was pretty pleased with, the, with my play. Um, granted, it hurts. You're, you're so close, uh, losing what, six, three, and fifth, and felt like I played well. Felt like I mean I, I won the first. I, I was playing really, really well. Got up an early break in the second, ended up losing it. Got up an early break in the third, ended up losing again, and then got down a break in the fourth. Came back, broke, and then I won that tiebreaker. So the ebbs and flows emotionally, I think, probably takes it really, really took it out of me and then coming back in the fifth and getting down an early break and Christian did a good job holding up throughout. But kinda of going back and talking with my coaches and, and sitting there and looking at it and said, Man, first five set match. I've I've improved so much since the beginning of the year. Uh my game style I'm far more comfortable moving forward. I'm far more willing to move forward, uh and finish points up in that and, and I, I execute I I try my best to, to do the game plan. I, I did. There were some a few mental hiccups, a few, um, you know, things that I think I'll be better with with time and experience and playing those type of matches. But all in all, I mean, you can't can't really hang your head about a six six three in the fifth is a first time five set match against the seed at your home grand slam. The atmosphere was incredible. 
and and Christian played a played a hell of a match. So I mean, it's not. It, in short, to answer your question, I didn't go back to the hotel and just wallow in in, in, in just pity and sorrow and say, you know, what could have been, what could have been. I kind of took it as a different way. I said, you know what, that's that's pretty cool. You know, that was pretty cool. That was a, that was a fun match. Obviously, I wanted to win it. But that just gives me all the more motivation to continue to work. And so next time I'm in that situation, things will go my way. So that, that's just kind of the way I tried to look at it. And, and you know your conditioning will hold up, too. I mean, you you were tested yeah, in your Man, that was a big that was a big point of emphasis going into the weeks leading up to the Open. I said, man, I need to, if, if I have the chance, because I, I didn't know that I would uh, get a major wild card, um, but I said, if I had the chance to, you know, get in qualities and maybe quality, and I want to be physically prepared for four or five set match. I got to play one earlier this year against Basilis Vili, uh, four set match, sorry. And physically, I, I felt all right, but I thought I could have been better. Um, and I think I really, I think that's really improved since then. And I'm excited to keep keep moving forward. So I was I was looking at results in part because you uh, you had a viral moment. You know that, right? Uh, you go ahead and tell me about it. We'll uh, we'll post the video uh, when we do our, our show page here. But uh, your your handshake at the net with with Noah Rubin and uh, I think it was two events later. Um, Carry made the yeah, rounds Carrie. in Cary, North Carolina. Um, so I, I first of all that that was impromptu, correct? You you did not. You're like Medvedev. Yeah, you're like Medvedev in the runner up speech. One hundred percent impromptu. Noah and I we had a pretty good uh, battle that night, um, and there were some. There, there was some drama to kind of go on between, you know, not, you know, some of the, the line calls we thought could have been better. Uh, so we were kind of we were kind of both a little bit on edge. But, you know, the, the last set, the third set, we were pretty dialed in and, and played some good tennis. And Noah came up with a backhand pass off an overhead um, <laughs> that I hit in the tiebreaker to go up a mini break. So that's where you kind of just got to you got to tip your hat to the guy. Um I'm not mistaken when I cross, I think I gave him the finger as well, but luckily the cameras didn't catch it. Uh, so we went on and we finished the breaker. He played a, played a phenomenal breaker and we go to the net and we're both, he's looking at me, just kind of shaking his head like, man, like that was, a, that was a tough one. And I look at him and I'm shaking my head and I'm going, I did no, no uh, awareness of the cameras being on or, or the chair pie being there. I just kind of want to give him a good old mush in the face to tell him mm-hmm. to get out. And then we, uh, we, we ended up shaking hands and walked on, uh, walked on off. And when I started ways and later that night, I went back. I did a cool down stretch, and then as I'm leaving, Noah finished stretching, and we had a nice little war of words, uh, exchanged some things that probably won't say on the podcast. But he knows it's all love, and and, and we kind of laughed it off. I thought, all right, I'll get you next time, and went on about my day. So pretty you, fun. You, you I had did. no idea when when I saw he posted it. To be honest, I had no idea that it would gain that much traction. No oh, that's great. Well, it I was like, oh, I was like, wow, he found the video because originally when it aired, the match stats came up right as we were shaking hands and it blocked the screen so you couldn't see it. No one was able to get the, the unedited uh, video of it. And I, was, and I said, oh, he posted it. And posted some really corny captions. So I made sure to comment <laughs> on his caption and tell him that, you know, I genuinely hate him and, and that uh, his captions suck. <laughs> Uh, but uh, then all of a sudden it just starts getting posted and posted and I'm going wow people really love this video I was like I might have to do something a little bit better next time uh, next time we play and probably give him a nice punch with a left hook in the mm-hmm. face you know that might be a little too much but we'll figure it out as the time comes I think you, you gotta win 7-6 in the third next time um, yeah yeah exactly and if you win you can't really you can't exactly, really you know push exactly. the guy in the face you gotta kind of be graceful with it but if it goes the other way oh man watch out <laughs> for Twitter um 
But I, I did note the uh, w- when you played the U.S. Open, I, I can't w- whatever the first round. I think it was fifty eight thousand dollars, fifty five thousand dollars. Yeah, fifty eight thousand dollars. That match against Noah Rubin just a few days later, it, it did go viral the handshake, but uh, the stakes were considerably less than fifty eight thousand dollars. How how do you uh, make that transition from you know the the cocoon of the majors where the 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 prize money is good and the transportation cars arrive on time. At your level, how do you make that transition from sort of the, the cosseted life of playing majors to the next week you're at the rental car line and you're not making $58,000? That may be the purse for the entire field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 something you know, you know you're getting yourself into. I mean, it, it, if anything, going from a grand slam to um, a lower-level challenge, it kind of serves as motivation to say, you know, I want to play the tournaments, I want to play the matches, I need to, I need to you know, everyone has to go through the challenges at some point, they have to make their way through, and some guys make it through faster than others. Um, but it's just about the kind of the mentality you have. If you if you go into it with the mentality of, you know, this sucks and, and I, I don't want to be here, I'd rather, you know, be playing and what's going on right now. Some, some of the tournaments in Asia, it's just super nice. You know, you're not, you're not really going to progress through the challenges. Um, if you go through it and you say, you know what, this is what I got to do. I need to dial in mentally. I need to be prepared to fight just like it's U.S. Open. And then uh, hopefully I can do well and progress on. Then I think that for me, that's the, that's the best mentality to have. That's the mentality that I try to have. Uh, so, But it's, it's something everyone has to do. Everyone's got to go through it. It's not, not you know, it's specific to you. That, oh, I have to, now I have to go to the Challengers. I have to go from U.S. Open to... New Haven to Cary to Tiburon, like no to Columbus, like no, that's part of the part of the tour, and it's going to make it all the more gratifying once you actually make it to a level. No, that's a good that's a good point, and I, you know during the Open, people, um, you know, pe- people had that that video with with Medvedev and, and Donald Young um, from a few years uh-huh. ago, and, and you know, I mean, obviously this wasn't the the main point, but you wanted to say, look, that was uh, I don't even remember where that challenger was. I think it was in Savannah. And that was a few yeah. years ago, and and Medvedev's playing the backcourts of Savannah, and here he is two and a half years later, playing uh, in a Grand Finals Slam of the US Open. Finals of the U.S. Open in a Grand Slam Finals. So, um, tell us about enough Labor Cup, enough uh, of the rigors of playing uh, playing the challengers. What uh, tell us about you? Where where'd you come from? What your folks do? How'd you how'd you get into this racket? Uh, so I, I honestly I, I didn't wasn't really a choice. I, I had an, I have an older brother who was heavily involved in tennis at the time that I was born. So when I came along, my dad was working with my brother, um, bring me out to get me out of the house and the stroller. I got to where I could run and I could walk and swing a racket. And my dad, I think that was around two, almost three. My dad said, all right, we're going to put a racket in his hand. And it's just kind of gone from there. My earliest members are, uh, memories are always revolving around tennis, always traveling to tennis tournaments, eating subway in between matches, walking out on court with my big cooler and, and, and things that, just always tennis has always been a huge part of my life, so that's just kind of how it how it started. My dad picked it up as an adult. didn't have didn't have really any formal training in tennis. He kind of picked it up, and he and his brother, uh, my uncle, were they loved to go play racquetball. And after racquetball, they said maybe we should pick up tennis. My dad did his research, um, you know, and, and it just kind of went from there. This is in the uh, the land of paperboy and urn. This is all in. Uh, this is all. In- <laughs> This is all in Atlanta. You got that. It's all in Atlanta. You got that one. I did. Come on now. I know. Um, this is all in Atlanta, Georgia, though. Good, good tennis town. Yeah, absolutely. Very um, good tennis town. Very rich, uh, rich culture, and I think the largest tennis market in the world. So. And then, um, I mean, I I remember hearing about you 
ironically enough, it wasn't through junior tennis. I, I think it was through uh, Taylor Townsend and Donald Young. And they, yeah. I don't know if you were a hitting partner or if you were just kind of uh, hanging out with, with Donald, but as a, as a teenager, you were sort of roped in with Donald, it seemed. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So when I got to be about, uh, when I got to be about, I think 14 and 15, my dad realized, he goes, you know, it, it might be good to kind of put you in an environment that, um, you'll be able to practice with better players every day. So what happened was I, I'll never forget it. I was on the way to school. I was in high school at the time and my dad's just driving and he looks over at me, middle car's quiet. He looks over, he goes, you're going to start going to South Fulton and train with the youngs every day. Um, you're going to work the after school program. Um, and then you're going to get lessons from, from Mr. Young. So I thought it was cool. I was like, you know, their tennis center is about five or 10 minutes from my house. I was like, I, I had known Donald a little bit from going over there to their, their tennis center for some match plays from time to time. Um, but never, never really doing full on lessons with, with Mr. Young or Mrs. Young until that point. So I, it was nothing for me. I said, oh, okay. He goes, you know, pick you up. I think starting this week or whatever. So finish school, go walk outside. There was the after school uh, van would be there to pick me up because they were also picking up kids in the, for the program in the area, pick me up. We would go uh, over to South Fulton. I'd get ready. I do about an hour and a half, maybe two hours of, of teaching the after school program. And then afterwards, Donald would come out and we would practice. And that was just kind of the routine every day when Donald was in town. Obviously he's, he was all playing a lot of tournaments as well. So then that's when I would go out there with Mr. Young and we would go one-on-one. He really, really helped kind of mold my game, uh, my game, my technique. I, I think my game has always been a pretty aggressive game, but he helped give me the technique and the, the, the knowledge of what my game style really should be and kind of gave it a little bit more structure. Um, and it just kind of went from there. So after the, the better and better I got quickly, I, I actually started, you know, taking games on Donald Wears when we first started, you know, I'm a 14, 15 year old kid. I'm, I'm struggling to hang and then kind of look and say, well, no, now I'm, I'm being able to get games off of him. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, service games. He still whacks me in almost every baseball game we ever played. Uh, but yeah, then it just kind of went from there. I got to travel with him, got the opportunity when I was 15, almost 16 to go through the European clay court swing with him. Got to go to Wimbledon a couple of times, I think with him, us open a couple of times with him. And it's just been, it's just been pretty much like family since then. So yeah, that's kind of, kind of how that how that started i cannot think of a player uh more different from you than donald young um <laughs> you are uh, i'm i you know the, the atp notoriously unreliable they, they have you at i think it's six six seven or six eight 180 yeah uh yeah the, the weight seems a little exaggerated perhaps and the height might be a little under it uh, <laughs> you're, you're taller than six seven aren't you no i'm six seven six, six seven, seven. I, i'm actually i'm actually six seven 180 that's that's accurate, really. Yeah, it's accurate. It's accurate. Trust me. The, the more and more the weight goes up, I continue to make sure that I stay up to date on it. You know, that's not <laughs> kind of a big goal of mine. But no, six seven one eighty. Um, uh, it's spot on. How? Uh, but what, what was it like? You know, you're you're you, you play very differently from Donald Young, who is is not six eight. He might be about one eighty. He's he's a lefty. You're righty. I mean, that's that's two very different games. How? Uh, what what was yeah. that like having a hitting partner so different from you? Um. Honestly, I, I think it. I think it kind of worked well. Um, yeah, I, I think it worked extremely well. I think because practicing with him allowed me to have a bit more of an aggressive mindset when we're playing games. Like you said, I'm six seven. Donald's not not that tall, not as tall as I am. But when 
I, that's not a. I don't want to get into base really long, extensive baseline exchanges with him mm-hmm. because he's going to run me, and he's going the moment he gets the forehand middle of the court, I'm on the hustle and I'm running. So what it forced me to do is kind of play a little bit more aggressive, find the ball that I can kind of use as a you know to try to sting him as quickly as possible, recognize the short balls and say, all right, here's my chance, go for it, boom, and then it just kind of helped mold my game that way because I knew it was just, I had no chance in trying to run side to side with him. So if he ever left a single ball hanging. I had to take cuts at it. And the more cuts you take, the more comfortable you get doing it and the better you get at it. So I think it kind of, it worked well. Um, being able to, he definitely, I, I, it's still a work in progress, but he definitely helped, uh, helped me pull my back in just because I can, I can't count the number of times in which it's a super hot day and he's just looking the forehand up high to the backhand. I'm right. just fighting it off, fighting it off, fighting it off. So then all of a sudden I go to guys where I'm playing, you know, Another guy who might be a righty and he can't get the ball up out of my zone. He's hitting it into my back end right there. And I'm saying, you know what, I can hang right here. You know, this isn't a problem. And then maybe I will get a lefty who gets it up out of the zone. But most of the guys that I was playing, especially in college, they weren't getting it up like Donald. So it, 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 I still felt a little comfortable. I was like, oh, man, this is all the training, all that work. And then the moment they leave one hanging and I have an opportunity to jump on the forehand to put them on the hustle, that's what I did because that's what I, I got pretty good at uh, doing when practicing with Donald because it was the only way to survive otherwise. Man, those days would have been long, longer than they already were. So uh, I think I actually think it worked out pretty well. That's really interesting. I mean, that's uh, you know, I I think it's funny because Taylor Townsend actually says something not differently than that. That uh, she she plays differently in part because she tried to be the opposite of the player on the other side of the net. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned you mentioned college tennis. You you stayed local and you went to uh, you went to Georgia Tech. Tough decision. Did you, did you wrestle with trying to uh, give this thing a go and turning pro, or was was this baked in pretty early? <laughs> Absolutely not. I had no chance to go pro out of high school. Zero. Didn't even think about. Uh, I, no, not didn't even come close. I, I wasn't a really highly touted junior. Right. I was. I was talented. I think I was talented. I think I was very raw. But I was. I mean, there were. There were. I can probably count. Probably seven six maybe schools that recruited me that's it and georgia tech that's it that's it i mean i i i had a really good run in uh the our um our sectional tournament usa southern so i was a unseated player who ended up making it to the finals i beat some really good guys and that was when people started to kind of take take note um and that's kind of when georgia tech came that was when some other schools tried to recruit and I'll, uh, I'll, remember, I'll never forget, I was looking at schools and there, there was a certain school, I'm not going to say who they are, but they were top four in the country at the time. They were showing heavy interest in me. And I thought, I said, man, this is this is unbelievable. I could play here, you know? And Georgia Tech was there. And growing up in Atlanta, honestly, I never thought that much about Georgia Tech. I said, oh, it's just a school downtown, whatever. Didn't think too much about it. So I'm sitting down with uh, Donald's parents with Donald's father and I'm talking about all these other schools and he's looking he goes okay all right he goes Chris uh personally I think I think you should you should go to Georgia Tech and I was like why do you say that he goes the coach is is awesome he said um Donald's still in Atlanta so whenever it's available you guys will still probably be able to practice together and I think it'll probably be be a really good fit so I was like God really Georgia Tech out out of all these schools you know not that highly ranked right now and I uh, just built a brand new facility, so that that was pretty cool. But other than that, I was like, you know, what 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 would entice me to go to Georgia Tech? I went and I sat out with the coach, uh, Kenny Thorne. We right. talked for a while. My dad, he and my dad, actually, they were there and they talked for a while. And I'll never forget. 
we walked out of that meeting. My dad looks at me, and he goes, you're going to Georgia Tech. <laughs> and I said, well, all righty then. And that's, that's that. Uh, I didn't really fight it because I felt a sense of comfort with Kenny and with uh, the, the guys on the team and the program and where in the direction it was heading. So I did, didn't really fight it that much. But I said, all right, I think, I think this might work. And sure enough, I honestly, I, I still say uh, all the time, I said, I don't think I would be a pro tennis player right now if I had gone anywhere else but Georgia Tech. I honestly don't. I think Kenny had a very good vision for me, had a very good vision for my game, and he put me in the best situation to uh, to be able to be a professional tennis player. That was one of the first conversations we had when I first met him. He goes, do you want to play pro tennis? I said, absolutely. He said, okay. Well, you know, we're, we're going to have a plan on how we're going to do it. And I don't think he thought the plan would go only three years, but uh, right. that's kind of the way it went, and, and, and he's still been extremely supportive of me. So it's been, been great. And we should point out, too, Kenny, Kenny Thorne played, you know, Play tour level yeah, tennis, yeah, so, and uh, you know, yeah, he played play tour level tennis. But one of the, the biggest things is that uh, he actually played at Georgia Tech, so he right. he knows the rigors of the school. He right. knows he was an uh, industrial engineer, I think, in uh, graduating '88 or something like that. Uh, so he went through the exact same school in a very difficult major, came out of it, and then went on to play pro tennis. So he he wasn't going to ask me to do something that he didn't already do and right. didn't think it was possible. So that kind of that kind of was a huge thing for me. And I said, wow, that, that's, that's unique in itself. So, you, really know, uh, you know, let me ask you another uh, question about someone who went to Georgia Tech. Uh, I, I had this stuck in my head during the Open, but a, a guy named Kevin King. Yeah. Who, uh, I don't know, maybe he's four or five years older than you are. Guy's ranked about uh, 400. Uh, plays plays yeah. Grigor Dimitrov in Atlanta this year. So in late July, he's playing against uh, Dimitrov. Wins that match. Six weeks later, Dimitrov is beating Roger Federer and making the semis of the U.S. Open. Yeah. Are the margins really that? I mean, if I'm Chris Eubanks and I'm seeing results like that, I, I'm saying to myself, I'm right there. I mean, I, I can hang with anyone. Yeah. I mean, are, are you looking at these indirect yeah. wins like that? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think I think because uh, you're, you're not the first person I've heard to kind of mention that and, and have such awe in it. Um. And and I, I remember I can't remember who it was, but someone on on ESPN they were you know talking about Grigor's his, his U.S. Open run and, and they mentioned you know six weeks ago he lost to a mechanical engineer from Georgia Tech and to me I thought it was, I thought it was kind of shady to mention it like that because it's also negating the fact that Kevin is a professional tennis player. Right. Kevin has Kevin was a two-time All-American at Georgia Tech. Kevin did quality into the Australian Open a couple of years ago. He does have a couple some so, challenges. Sounds like they yanked like, that guy out of a lab. This, 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 like, this isn't a guy that this yeah. isn't a guy that was working a nine to five. Yeah, exactly. Up tennis exactly. And then walked out there. So when I heard the line, it, it kind of right. kind of stuck with me a little bit. And I thought it was kind of shady, but um, <laughs> but no, like like it, like it's this is at a time in which Grigor obviously you see wasn't playing nearly as well as he was at the U.S. Open, and right. to be quite frankly, neither, neither was Kevin going into that tournament. But it it just goes to show on any given day anyone can beat anyone. It it it, it shows that you know if you come out there and, and you have a good mindset and, and you're you're putting in the work consistently at some point, the good things are going to happen. For that that week, it happened for Kevin as he qualified in and then beat Grigor and lost uh, in the second round, I think, to Fritz. But Grigor continued to put in the work, and I was just a testament. You saw all of the work that that he had been putting in the entire summer. I mean, it, it, the guy was putting in the hard yards in Atlanta. The guy was putting the hard yards at Queens. I got to practice with him at Queens. The guy was putting the hard yards since he had some tough losses. But it, it almost as if it, it sure it affected him. I don't want to speak for him. I'm sure it affected him. But you, you couldn't tell by the work that he was putting in on the, on the practice court. 
and then it, it all comes together at the U.S. Open. So, yes, a, a, a guy a guy who at the time was ranked, I think, in the 300s can beat a guy who was, what, 50 on a given day. The margins are fairly slim. Um, but it just goes – like. It does serve as a little bit of motivation to say, man, if I can just, I can put it together, I can, I can, I can really do something. But I think that's something that I've already kind of known and already kind of believed, just because in college I had some pretty good wins uh, before I decided to come out. So something I've kind of already known. So I didn't look at Kevin beating Grigor and say, wow, this is this is incredible. Like the margins of professional tennis were so small. I mean, I, I kind of experienced it firsthand. I think I was more so just extremely happy for Kevin because we we train together, we travel together. I know what he's been through. And it's, it was just a really, really special moment for, for everyone. Right, so. right. Um, all right, let me ask you one more question. You're, uh, you're, you're in Timberon now. I, I feel like in, you know, Noah Rubin, who we talked about, um, I, I give a lot of credit for this, but it, it seems as though sort of happiness levels and struggle and, and mental health at that level, um, you know, guys ranked maybe 120 to 250. Uh, you're, you're included mm-hmm. in that group. Noah Rubin's in that group. The, the happiness level there, I think, has come under some scrutiny lately. Um, what's what, I don't know, say what's your state of mind, but sort of where 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 are you at? I mean, um, what what are the uh, over obstacles you have to overcome? I mean, where what's sort of your state of being out there in your in your uh, level right now? Uh, well, well, right now, um, I'll be honest. I think I'm probably as happy as I've ever been. Oh, good. Um, it, 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 it's Things start off really good. I think last year I started off, uh, started off my first show tour, the Futures in LA, stayed out there the whole time, and and you know thought it was thought it was great. You know, I brought my PlayStation, got to play a bunch of video practice, play video games. You know, it was it was fun. And then after a while, it, it just begins to get old. It, I was doing a lot of the travel by myself. I was eating the meals by myself, and, and I kind of hit a wall, which I said, man, this is this is tough. You know, so uh, after I kind of went through that, Kevin and I actually traveled together uh, to some tournaments in Mexico with another former Tech alum, uh, or Georgia Tech alum, former Tech tennis player, Dean O'Brien, who also played on tour a little bit, and he kind of he was working with both of us. He kind of gave us that level of comfort having a friend on the road and having a good tennis mind as well. So we got to travel together, and it was almost almost like instant. Those are the weeks that I did have my best weeks of the year when I finaled uh, the tournament in Guadalajara and Leon. And, and, and so obviously I just continued to do that work with Dean and Kevin, and we played a lot of the same tournaments, a lot of the same schedule. Um, but after a while, Dean eventually decided he had to, he thought it might be good to go back to South Africa for a little bit with his family. So it kind of put me in that same boat while I was doing a lot of travel by myself. And that was when I kind of hit a wall again. I said, man, this is, I just, you know, I've been playing really well and I was up with friends and, and it's been great. And now I'm kind of, kind of back in the same boat that I was in. You, you kind of go to tournaments and, and I'll just be honest, you go to tournaments and there's certain weeks where you're kind of not that into it. You know, you think you would be because any week, you know, one week could possibly change the course of your career. But there's just some weeks you're just kind of like, man, I'm, I'm not I'm not here. Um, right. And I, I think I'm guilty of it. I think a lot of players, tennis players would say they're guilty of it. They're not proud of it, but it, it's a fact. It is what it is. Um, but the I ended up then finding um, my coach who I work with um, almost about a year ago to this week was probably when I first reached out to him. And since that, since working with him, Oh, name, been, name check him. Name check. Been great. With the, uh, Christian Hill, right. Christian Hill, who uh, runs a program out of Cherry Hill Health and Rack Club in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, he's been he's been awesome. He's he's kind of given me just not just a coach, but a mentor and a big brother, the guy I can go to almost about anything. 
Right. Um, and I really, really genuinely believe he has my best interest at heart. So it's, it's, it, since having him uh, on my side and, and on my team, I feel like I can handle the, some of the, the travels, you know, alone a lot better when it does come, but he's also on the road a pretty good bit with me. So it, it works, uh, it works on both sides. So for me, it was just being, being alone and, and not having that person who's always there. I'm coming from an atmosphere in college tennis where I have, you know, 11 people traveling every trip we take. So all of a sudden now it's just one. So that, that took a bit of an adjustment and I, I did hit a wall, hit a wall probably a couple of times, but right now I think I'm in a really good state physically. I think I'm in a really good state mentally and emotionally and, and I'm really ready to make a big push for these last few weeks of the year. That sounds like uh, it sounds like a plan. You know, I, I wanted to ask you too. You you said you were, I mean, it sounds like you, you were kind of kidding, but you said you, you didn't have any decision to play tennis. I mean, your your dad was into it. You had an older brother, and that that happens a lot. It just sort of circumstantially, yeah. you know, even over Roger Federer's mom's a, a tennis player and brings him to the club, and next thing you know, he's got a racket in his hand. Um, yeah. What I mean, I I don't know if you saw this. There was a piece in the Undefeated uh, a few weeks ago after the U.S. Open by by Bill Roden that you know essentially said sort of. Uh, let me let me find this so I'm not misquoted. Where, where are the black men in tennis? The sport needs iconic yeah. athletes to draw new generations of players. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah, that was uh, I think that was done uh, last year's Open, if I'm not mistaken. Last year's or two years. I, I think. To, uh, uh, is that is what's the date on it? I'm, I'm almost unless it was reposted because yeah, I, I remember that article came out a while back. Uh, September 9th, 2019. With uh, it's showing France. Okay, so it, it must have just they must have just redone it because I, I remember I, I spoke I sat down with. Uh, Mr. Rowan and we talked a, oh, a year ago or something. Oh, yeah, because uh, I'll, yeah, I'll it, it's, I'm pretty you. I'm pretty sure it's been it's been been out for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I I remember the article. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think everyone sort of dances around this issue, and there's there's a lot of code, and there's a lot of talk about you know LeBron James with a tennis racket, and I, I think we need to be pretty careful uh, sort of with with terms here. But do, do you have thoughts on sort of the yeah, yeah. I mean, I was speaking with someone about this, this exact topic not too long ago, and I said people they try to compare it to the women's side, and I just don't think you can. Right, I said, right. I said if, if we if we look at it and we look at it and we say, well, you know, why there's so many you know black females getting into tennis? I said, well, I don't think that's that tough to figure out. I think if you look at it, you have Venus and Serena who've been dominating tennis over the past <laughs> however many years, and then when when they if it's not them, and then you have Sloane Stevens who comes up and wins the U.S. Open. If it's not her, you have, I know Naomi's Japanese, but you also have a, a, a Japanese and, and uh, I think she's Haitian, Haitian girl come up and win the tournament. So right. I feel like, I honestly, I'm a firm believer. I think that kids aspire to be what they see and what they honestly think that they can believe, uh, be, what they believe that they can actually be. You know, they, 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 they gravitate towards tennis because they look at these black girls and they go up here and they're winning and they're winning and they're winning and they're, winning and they're you know, global icons. And they say, you know what, I want to play tennis because I want to be like them. They look like me. They probably maybe come from some of the backgrounds that I do. So it draws them to the sport. Not only that, tennis is probably, I'm not mistaken, one of the best uh, sports for young girls in terms of the amount of scholarship opportunities out of there, the amount of money that can, that they can make. Now, granted, right. might not be exactly where, where some believe it should be, but as of right now, it's, it's probably one of the best sports um, no, in terms I mean, of, the, of the hierarchy, earnings yeah, of, exactly. of, of exactly. money that can be made right. on the women's side, right. so it, 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 I think that has a huge effect on it. Now, you look at the look at the other side of it. I mean, I, and I'll I'll be the one to be pretty frank to to <laughs> keep it from you, but you, you 
you see little black boys growing up and they're watching, you know, who are they watching? They're, they're idolizing what they're saying. They're saying, you know, LeBron James, they're saying Kobe Bryant, they're saying Steph Curry, they're saying James Harden, they're saying these guys. And then if you even want to go to football, you see, uh, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, uh, so many players that look like them and give them the feeling that, you know, oh man, I can do what they do. Uh, I can be a Julio Jones. I can be a DeAndre Hopkins. I can I can go out there if I, if I work at it because look at them like they're on the field. They look like me. They come from similar backgrounds as I do, and and it just it all. I honestly I think sparks a fire under them to say this is where I want to channel my energy because this is where it's shown to be possible for me. Right. And I don't think I don't I you know in tennis there have been some there have been some phenomenal black tennis players even if we're gonna. Span from from obviously from Arthur Ashe to Yannick Noah, Malibu Washington, so we can even go to, you know those guys in there. James Blake, obviously, who I, I don't think gets enough credit, helped the mantle for U.S. tennis, got up to four in the world, and you know he was just kind of like granted he did at the same time as Andy Roddick, so I think Andy always kind of helped the mantle of you know the top American, but James was right there with him for a very long time. Um, Songa, Monfils, these different guys, Francis, I, I think is, is is solidifying himself as something that kids can look up to, and I'm hoping to move into that. Donald uh, is inspired. I don't know how many kids to play tennis. It had a huge effect on me, my decision to play tennis. Uh, so I, I think that that helps for those that are already in the sport, but for people on the outside who you know kind of want to get into tennis, if you don't really see it up front and up, up close and personal or, or you know out on the forefront playing in Grand Slam finals, they might say, oh, well, I, you know, I'll go do something else. I might... I might go run track because I see, you know, Christian Coleman is the fastest man in the world who comes from Atlanta or Justin Gatlin or, or, or Tyson Gay or all, right. all these different guys. I'll channel, I'll channel more towards something that I can see myself represented in. And I don't think that's anything wrong with it. I just think, you know, we, as, you know, tennis players have to get together, honestly, and we, we have to kind of do or try our best to do what Serena and Venus have done for so long and, and, and made look so easy. We have to start, you know, contending for majors. We got to start, you know, being out there on the forefront and, and allowing people to see and get a get a different look at tennis. And uh, I think it'll come. I think it'll come with time. I think there are more black players getting into tennis, but you know, it's, it's going to take time. And, and I don't think, I don't think there's necessarily a, a crisis on the horizon because there are more girls getting into tennis, the girls of color than, uh, than on the guy's side. Just, and also continuing with the money part, there's a lot. There's a lot of guaranteed contracts in the NBA. <laughs> my goodness! I, I, every time I sit up there and I see the new collective yeah, bargaining agreements or the or the new contract extensions that go on, I say, man, that's. Whew. There, there are. I love, uh, I love, I, I love know. the Tiberon Challenger. Good gracious! <laughs> right. They want to. Why they want to sign me to come out there and play for that much money? I probably would do it too. <laughs> I said that. Uh, T- Timothy Mozgov, who uh, you know, guys at the end of the bench in the NBA will make more in guaranteed money than. Uh, Federer and Nadal will make combined in prize money, but um, no, that, that was a really interesting answer. I um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of truth in that. I think um, you know, the in fairness of women's tennis. Also, you're not competing with the NFL, and economics are dr- driving a lot. But if you're yeah. a, a talented athlete and you're seven, eight, nine years old as a girl, tennis is going to probably be higher in the hierarchy of sports you might choose. Uh, yeah, because you don't have these other, you know. You, you don't have um, baseball and and football and even to a lesser extent basketball to siphon you. But uh, anyway, this this I I could talk about this for a long time. This uh, this was fantastic. It was great uh, great talking with you. 
you come uh, come highly recommended from James Blake, and you uh, you fulfilled <laughs> you, you fulfilled his lofty billing. Um, I'm glad we were able to do this. It was great. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Good uh, good luck out there, and uh, love to do it again. All right, absolutely, absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, thanks, Chris. Take it easy, man. All right, take care. All right, thanks to Chris for a uh, good conversation. Uh, boy, very easy to like uh, player. Encourage you to watch him play. He uh, is Riley Opelka in height and uh, Daniil Medvedev in uh, width, but he gets it done. And uh, as you can see, a uh, very personable character. Wish him a lot more success. That will do it for this week. Jamie's feeling under the weather, so she is uh, only producing. But next week, we will be back with a full fledged conversation. We may revisit Labor Cup, rumors of an in studio guest if schedules can align. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to Chris. Keep your guest suggestions coming. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. And have a good week, everyone.